Hello and welcome to the VIP pod. I'm Emma, one of your hosts. In this series, we meet a range of people who are visually impaired. We're hoping to raise awareness of people who've got many different sight conditions, all whilst having a great conversation and having a bit of a laugh too. Hello, this is Rupert from the VIP pod team. In this week's episode, Emma talks to Tom Skelton, who is a stand-up comedian. He talks about how his visual impairment affects his job, in particular how he struggles to judge audiences' reactions. He also talks about how he uses his visual impairment and disability in his comedy. As with all our interviews in this series, it was recorded online remotely, so the sound quality may vary. Where are you based? Uh, In Milton Keynes. And did you have lots of shows you were meant to be doing? Yeah, well, I did have um, Melbourne Comedy Festival was the the one that was like most dramatically impacted because I was in uh, Australia earlier in the year and in the middle of Adelaide Fringe and then was about to go to Melbourne for the Comedy Festival and then on uh, after a few rumours were flying around on Friday the 13th, so they knew how to time it well, they sent out an email cancelling the entire festival. So, And then obviously uh, various previews and shows in the UK and, and Edinburgh got cancelled. So a fair, I think I'm up to probably about, I don't know, maybe 50, 50 shows. Um, or Well, probably more than that, actually. So did you come home then? Is it all, you're obviously in England now, aren't you? Yeah, well, it was basically all the sort of dominoes started tumbling. Um, well, we, uh, I was coming home anyway um, right. at the end of April, but this just accelerated it and it just seemed like there was a chance of staying in Australia. And But I think we all felt it was better to just come home as, as soon as possible so were you all over australia where where have you been on your trips tom oh yeah well did the comedy festivals or the fringes even in perth adelaide melbourne and and new zealand of course that's not Uh australia i i have realized (laughs) that since but um and then also uh lived in in sydney for for a little while and then did some other travelling around. So it was a, a good old time. How did you become a comedian? Well, I I suppose I've always enjoyed making people laugh. Um, mm-hmm. From like being, I don't know, around the dinner table or at school. Like, um, you know, I, I wasn't particularly hard, you know, hard or tough or anything. But um, I was okay at football, but I was quite funny. So it was like, you know, I had to tick two or one and a half out of those three boxes mm-hmm. um and but I hadn't really done anything formally but when I was at university I auditioned for an improvised comedy group sounded fun and then well I, I got in and it was and it was just a really sort of invigorating and exciting thing to be like getting on stage and making people laugh and have that as the as your job even though I suppose it wasn't paid particularly uh, well at the university apart from like a free pint here and there but that idea of that being your like role was was really invigorating and then I just 
pursued other projects, like did sketch shows or um, or other improv mm. shows with people I met in that group, and then eventually solo stuff as well. Um, once I was doing more writing, and then I think actually when I lost my sight, that was sort of a a bit of a catalyst of me trying to pursue it more because I suppose it does feel like it sort of narrows your options in a certain Mm. way, even though that's, I wouldn't actually say that's true necessarily now because I think with technology and with a bit of confidence and with a bit of experience, you can, you can basically do nearly anything apart from, you know, certain jobs like pilot or whatever. And, Mm. and um, so I think that sort of concentrated my mind Mm. and also probably slightly superficially felt like it gave me something unique to say something that made me stand out to do comedy about had you been to uni and stuff like that and you were going forward and just tell me about that time yeah so I was just about to move to London and start a a different university course but it was all like a very sort of exciting time you know like move to London do this new course live with some friends and everything and that summer I sort of started to notice a a couple of like cloudiness uh, like clouds and bits of cloudiness in my in my Mm. eyesight when I was um on stage actually that Edinburgh festival because with the university comedy group we went we went up to Edinburgh there was a scene where someone was doing something quite subtle with their hands Mm. And I was looking right at them and I I just didn't see it. It was just a blurry where their hands were. And I saw, so I totally misunderstood and, and didn't and contradicted what they were doing and sort of derailed the scene. People afterwards were just a bit sort of flabbergasted as to why I'd um, seemingly, you know, deliberately or, or just totally absentmindedly ruined that scene. But it was... It was like the eyesight, it was, I was just, you know, I had been looking right at it, but I couldn't see it. And I suppose that was the first time it had really affected me. Um, you know, you can always sort of disguise, disguise it early on when it's just um, one, you know, one bit of uh, your, uh, eyesight in one eye. But this was a moment when it actually like properly affected me. And it was, um, yeah, it was strange and 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 i sort of realized soon after that um that it was this genetic condition that runs in my family right did you know that was coming then so as it's in your family well i suppose that it sort of logically i did <laughs> know it was a possibility and i'd probably known that i had known that throughout my life but like all sort of stupid young men you uh assume that nothing can happen to you and Mm. so I suppose like I'd I've maybe thought that it would only happen when I was younger because like my uncle and a few of my cousins it only happened when they were um like uh, five six seven or eight or something but I had got another cousin who had it happened to him at a very similar time so the sign should have been there but I just even even when there was the bits of cloudiness I I didn't think it was that until finally it was sort of affecting me in the second eye and it was much more clear or, you know, well, unclear that it was, uh, <laughs> sorry, that was un- unintentional. I can't, I can't help it. I can't help it. 
So then I sort of looked up the symptoms and realised, oh, well, it is obviously that. At least it made a bit of sense of what had been happening to me, but it was also, suddenly it was permanent. And I was sort of always assuming, oh, it's going to be some sort of weirdly early cataract or or something that Mm -hmm. I can get removed or, you know, it's just some nerve thing that I'm slightly hallucinating these things or so once you realize it's permanent it's a bit like what's the condition called then labor's hereditary optic neuropathy which is a bit of a mouthful but, um, <laughs> it's a little bit isn't it <laughs> yeah it was this guy Dr labor who um seemed to discover or all of these different eye conditions sometime in I think in the 19th century so a lot of them are named after him and they're all slightly similar but all slightly different so it's yeah we're, there's a little a, a little club of us but it's quite rare but there's a you know you meet a few people with it as well which is always interesting have you thought about having a dog at all tom i haven't really i suppose it's partly you know even though to in in, in the fear of making uh, you know losing losing friends then um i've never always been much of a dog person so i always imagined i couldn't imagine necessarily having one but then again having said that any guide dog i've met has always been the the loveliest and you know, even the guide dog I accidentally kicked during a show once when they were on the front row because they were very... <laughs> right. Well, they were, they were a black guide dog against a, a black curtain and I... Um, and <laughs> oh, no. They were in... I was doing a very a vibrant performance of, of a certain scene and um, they took the blow and, you know, it, and they weren't, um, they weren't appalled, no, no angry reaction or anything. They just... You know, slunk backwards, and I had to apologise to it many times. <laughs> oh, are there things that you suddenly just don't see stuff at all? Um, all of a sudden, you like think, oh, and then you've tripped over it, and it's like, do you have do you have that now with your vision? I do, but I I generally find well, it's like in certain towns there are those you know those grey bollards mm. that are sort of at knee height, and yeah. Like they're grey on grey. It's like this horrible monochrome thing. And I remember in Brighton, and I think in um, in Barking, I think they have these these grey bollards <laughs> that are about knee height, and those are very very annoying. Otherwise, I try to make sure there's nothing that I can potentially trip over. But if I've sort of accidentally or absent-mindedly put something in my own way, then I can still do it if I'm not expecting it, or if or if another person in the house has has done it then it's possible for sure do you work or are you full-time comedy well before i went to australia i was doing i was working for the royal society for blind children um in london and i was doing that like four days a week and then so part-time but you know sort of two-thirds part-time or whatever and and then comedy the rest of the time and yeah then i did comedy more full-time in uh, Australia but then also did did some work for Vision Australia the um, mm-hmm. the the RNIB equivalent over there and then since coming back obviously uh, been doing nothing of either <laughs> so you know <laughs> just putting in my JSA application and all that kind of thing are you doing anything online at the moment? No, I haven't because I I suppose I've done like a couple of like video things for certain groups um but really 
I've been reluctant, and I don't know if it's my own laziness or, or like a sort of artistic um, idea, but I suppose the idea of doing comedy online without an audience reaction immediately feels to me just a step too far, a step too much in the sort of surreal, like weird direction. But maybe, you know, I might, I might come round to it, but... I've you know I've done a few like, little videos and stuff like that, but no no like live Zoom gigs or anything. When you look at an audience, because you can't see, do you think that makes it easier or harder? What would you say? I think it makes it. I think if you're nervous beforehand, it makes mm. it easier because you can't like lock eyes with anyone and yeah. feel that particular nervousness. But sometimes the most when it's harder is when you've got an audience of smilers. So people who don't really laugh out loud, but um, they're smiling. And like my, my technician often has to tell me afterwards, oh, they were really enjoying it, but they just weren't really loud. So, And normally nowadays, hopefully, I just assume they're enjoying it and, and carry on as normal. But there's an element which you can feel like they're, they're not enjoying it. And then you can sort of you know have this spiral of, oh, God, why aren't they enjoying it? I should do this better. I should do this bit more funny. And then as soon as you start to think that, um, you're sort of in your own head and not actually performing the material from your from your gut or whatever you mean it, wherever you mean it, perform it from. And tell me about your new shows. Tell me about all of them. Yeah, well, the show I was doing this year and I did in Perth, um, New Zealand and Adelaide and was going to take to Melbourne around the UK and Edinburgh was, well, it was very appropriate for this year. So it was called 2020 Visions. And what if I hadn't gone blind? And it looked back on a a decade since I lost my sight, um, thinking about the you know, what life has been like, um, giving a sort of a ten year appraisal of sight loss in a way, and and then also wondering what might have been, what my life might have been like if I hadn't lost my sight. And so it can delve into the you know, realms of bizarre fantasy, like a sort of superhero sighted alter ego that um that i could have been you know i could have done all these amazing things if i hadn't lost my sight whereas um in reality it's down to my own personality rather than my my sight loss it's more uh i can blame any failure or lack of ambition fulfilling on on the blindness rather conveniently rather than rather than acknowledging that it's maybe just my own lack of uh achievement tell me about the bit more about the shows what so what were the two different shows that you did before oh yeah so i had done i've done two previous shows about about my eyesight about blindness mm. with blind themes i had done some shows before that because i think when i was first doing solo shows i was quite i don't know i was quite conscious of not wanting to straight away do stuff about my blindness and and um, almost be defined by that. Yeah. But after I'd got a little bit of you know, meagre uh, success, but you know, quite a lot of confidence with being a solo performer, I decided to tackle my blindness because I suppose it's what people find fascinating. It's a it's a big part of me, and I felt it was quite cathartic to to do something about it. So I did a show called Blind Man's Bluff, which was about my own sight loss diagnosis and then the history of all the greatest blind people that have ever lived mm -hmm. so um it was the the form was basically this um ophthalmologist trying to reassure me that I'll be fine 
and giving me examples of all these great blind people. But for comic effect, they're not always the best examples that he chooses. So I I then sort of did um, character comedy uh, sketches with with me playing all of these great VIPs throughout history. Mm-hmm. So they included like there was Samson, you know, uh, not the greatest choice because. He uh, didn't achieve any of the things he's famous for when he was blind, and then he obviously just gets blinded and then dies. So, um, but there was a Bella the Blind, who was a Hungarian king in the 12th century, who oversaw okay. the expansion of the Hungarian Empire. You know, and I'm not like a, you know, I'm not necessarily pro-imperialist, uh, but um, it was uh, it was quite inspiring to hear that. Um, he did. He did, of course, have to have a. A carer, you know, like a, a sighted, a sighted guide. And he was he was quite funny because he um he was blinded because the his uncle wanted to secure the succession to his own son. And then the uncle got more paranoid, so he ordered the little boy that um he be castrated as well. But um the oh, wow. the guard who was who was charged with doing it, he took pity on this on on this young man. Uh, on this young boy, so he decided not to castrate him, and instead he chopped the nadges of a a passing uh, a passing wolfhound instead. So it was a a, a miracle of deliverance. It was the uh, you know the dog's bollocks. <laughs> That's a line from the show. I don't know if you could guess that. I crowbarred it in. <laughs> a follow up show I did was um, called Blind Eye Spy, and that was about mm. my imagined future adventures as a spy in post-Brexit Berlin after after MI6's budget has been cut and they need to have someone who can go undercover and find out you know what what's being plotted in Berlin against Britain and I thought well who will suspect a blind spy and so <laughs> I get employed and you know at a, a decent cheap rate for the secret service. Are you getting much more material um, by being in lockdown at the moment? Uh, I I don't think I am really because I think a lot of what Twenty Twenty Visions was based on, and what a lot of both Blind Man's Bluff and Blind I Spy were based on, is partly like my interactions with the world as a as a blind person. What other people's expectations are, you know, the funny things people say. I suppose, like you know, because often you can't really make them up. You know, they are just things that people say and often you know often not at all maliciously just and I suppose just by living with my with my parents and my girlfriend back home and and having quite a you know a comfortable responsibility free existence you you don't get as many moments like that because people know who you are and they you know they they don't find it if you're looking at your phone really close or looking at the watching the tv really close or making a coffee in a sort of eccentric way that's not weird to them and I suppose the the comedy comes out of me on the train in Australia and someone looking at at me, looking at my phone and saying, that guy needs glasses. And, you know, just the lack of um, <laughs> the lack of uh, processing, like, he probably does need glasses. He probably doesn't need that being pointed out. Like, I think, oh, I think you said before, like, that guy looks like he might be blind. And, you know, the point is, he probably, he probably is. He doesn't need you pointing it out. <laughs> <laughs> It always used to infuriate me when people say, do you need glasses? Or do you... They wouldn't say why. They'd say, 
He's expecting to say, oh my God, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought of that. That's just, that. That'll be the thing. Oh, thank, thank you so much. I mean, it's like, I've lived for 46 years. If only I thought of having glasses. Do you think? I mean, when I, um, when I did that line, because that's having been asked that question as well, when I first mentioned that as a as a thing in a show and um i thought that was going to be i thought that was a fairly ridiculous thing that i i'd randomly been asked a couple of times but it was the first time i did it when i had other blind people in in the audience and talking to them afterwards everyone has been asked that multiple multiple times Ooh. and i've sort of realized that how often and you know then since myself being asked it more and it is just it is it's just a it's an incredible it's an incredible thing that people <laughs> ask and ne you know never maliciously i have that as well i have that all the time <laughs> just get some glasses no it doesn't really work <laughs> has your humor really helped you to get through all of this would you say oh definitely i think it was it was very cathartic to do the first show about it and mm. and talk about it and also partly just in the previous couple of shows like sometimes i would because i have a sort of deliberately you know, and maybe, you know, necessarily sort of chaotic stage presence where I like throw costumes around and try and don't quite manage to put on a costume or, or whatever. And in the first couple of shows, I would sometimes like lose a prop or lose a costume mm -hmm. and it would be right in front of me. And, you know, the, the audience would be like, why is he, why is he not finding that? There must be some sort of punchline to this. But, you know, especially first, like finding my feet as a solo performer, I would... I would then just sort of find find it, and then if I was feeling a bit nervous or or what, I would um, I'd then like pick it up and and not mention it, not make a proper joke of it, because you then you know if you haven't said it early on that you're that you're visually impaired, then it just takes a hell of a lot of explanations halfway through the show. So it just creates this awkwardness if you do something blind on stage and don't. Um, and then don't, uh, you haven't acknowledged it first. And what was the liberating thing was saying straight away, like, by the way, you know, everyone, I am, I'm visually impaired. I've, this, this is how it works. Da, 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 and, you know, it's fine. Mm -hmm. to, it's fine to laugh. Um, and then it just meant that I could just totally be myself physically. Like if I dropped something, it was fine to drop something because it could, it was either deliberate or it was it wasn't deliberate, but it didn't matter because any sort of blind mm. behaviour that I was showing was was totally understood and it was all understood within that um, uh, prism or and and so that was just a one of the best things and I think yeah I think it's also just really um, been helpful to to share certain stories and to share like um it's and you know you, you can also slip in a bit of the nice thing about comedy is you can slip in a bit of actual meaningful stuff that you genuinely want to say but you'd never quite say you know you never quite have the moment to say um in normal life so you can slip this meaningful little bit of of soppiness yeah underneath and you know you maybe you can maybe you have to undermine it at, at the end slightly but <laughs> it's um it's cathartic in in that way like in a in a proper in a proper genuine way you know as well as a, a silly way is it linked to confidence would you say as well your confidence has grown as you've grown up and then those kind of things oh i think so. i think there's no coincidence that when i did blind man's bluff i mm -hmm. had i was 
a lot of the things that I was scared about never doing because of the eyesight I mm-hmm. had done by that point. And um, it was, um, you know, I was I was living in London at that point. I was, mm. I was working. Yeah, I, w- I was in a very happy place. I think, yeah, I think it was about being in a in a place where I'd I'd be I'd been living with it for a while. But I think I think it's also it's it's also important to when you talk about things that have genuinely made you feel scared or, or vulnerable, either talking about it at the time or talking about them afterwards. An audience can tell whether it's from a genuine place or not. I think. Mm-hmm. Although I suppose actors are <laughs> are not being genuine, so you know <laughs> it has to come from some sort of genuine emotional place, and I think that's it's been helpful for me, even if it's not helpful for the audience. What places in London have you played, or places around the country? I mean, have you played? Well, I really, I really liked playing Aces and Eights in in London. I used to have a in Tufnell Park, so I used to have okay a like monthly comedy show that I. Um, did with a fellow VIP comedian, um, mm-hmm. and we called it Cheeky Blinders, which uh, I'm sure you know. Nice. We, you know, some sort of tired pun had to be used uh, for the night. <laughs> um, and so I really like that venue, and it's a lovely little pub as well. But in terms of, I really like playing in Brighton in the Comedia, or even okay. oh, what's that? And there's another there's another venue nearby the Comedia, but it's also it's like a lovely sort of uh what is oh god I my um my theatre practitioner knowledge has gone down the gone down the tube, but it's is it the Warren or something in Brighton? I think that's a lovely venue. Um, yeah. So, and of course, I did my first ever show in Milton Keynes a few years ago when I was first uh, debuting Blind Man's Bluff and that was a that was very lovely to do it because um I had uh both my grands in the audience that day and there there was a line that I I didn't know whether to keep in but I say the say the worst word in the in the English language and I was un- uncertain about whether to say it <laughs> exactly yeah along those lines and I just decided to I decided to do it because I had to rehearse it properly. But luckily neither of them noticed or, or claimed not to even notice. Do you always look on the bright side? So, um uh-huh. It's always Yeah, I think obviously when it was first happening, it felt like a a huge sort of full stop. I think generally I try to look on the bright side. Cause I suppose what else? What else is there in the end? Like it mm. feel that's often come back to, and often come back to the feeling of well, I can always still do that. I can always still listen to the radio, or I can always still. I think I do. I think I do look on the bright side because mm. there's. I always felt partly like the narrowing of possibilities actually, because the world feels almost too full of of choice. Sometimes the narrowing of a possibility that sight loss brings actually can be a positive because it just means there's fewer choices to make which is just actually quite nice sometimes because when you're constantly bombarded with all these choices sometimes it's nicer to have a a smaller menu (laughs) and I think you know suddenly having to use like computers and Mm. and zoom for meetings it does mean that I'm as able to to go to a meeting 
if I, you know, if I, the first after the first time I worked out how to use Zoom, whereas meetings before when I was working in London did have to find, you know, this tube stop and then this bit and then this bit and then you have to find the bloody room once you get to the building and yeah, but I, I do like this idea of this sort of advent of um, like you know, people going to the office one day a week and then you do all of your your meetings or your like whatever you need to do. But the rest of the time, you can just do your work from home and you can have yeah. your Zoom meetings and everything. And, you know, when it can be stressful to get into work and then stressful to be at work in certain elements, like, you know, ju- I suppose just like the act of making yourself a cup of coffee, you have to be really comfortable in a in a kitchen at work. And it takes a while to really to really feel comfortable there. Do you think now the climate has changed a bit more for doing your shows and things? Do you think that has changed in the last five years and stuff compared to how it was before? Um, I think so. I th- I feel like it is. There's definitely more. I think there's more comedy and art, drama and everything about disability and it being more normalised. And also, people with disabilities doing stuff that's not necessarily about disability. And I know I'm not actually one of those people, but um, like I think technology has helped with that as well. Just making things easier to access and just people's... Confidence, I guess, as well, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think it has changed. It's, very, it's always hard to put your finger on it exactly, but I do feel like it's become more positive, for sure. What's, what's been the funniest thing you've heard recently that you thought, that's ridiculous? Well, I have to say, one of the strangest things I've... I've heard, which was it was actually a couple of years ago, so it was slightly cheeky. But after I told someone that I I was visually impaired, and they they asked that they asked as we've discussed, they did ask about the glasses. Yeah. And yeah, I had to tell them. And then he said, "Ah, uh, oh, well, now come to think of it, you do have very large eyes." <laughs> oh. <laughs> I just. I couldn't fathom that one because I thought, well, you think there'd be a bigger, you know, for for the layman, a sort of a bigger surface area. You'd think you'd be less likely to be to be blind. So, and then when I came back from the toilet, and then I tried to grab my beer, and and I missed it for the for the first time. And you know, it wasn't like a proper sweeping grab, but I sort of went for it and sort of missed it slightly. And he went, oh, I saw that. As if the whole point of it was, um, you know, to to try and hide it away. Uh, so it was a very one of those people I wish mm. I hadn't told, and then I just. Um, but then I wouldn't have had this story to tell you now. What would be the best bit of advice you could give to someone who's out there who's losing their eyesight? Oh, um, there's so much amazing technology. People are, even though they say weird things, they are generally very very kind very understanding and and want to help and will and also will know you know the people who like know you and love you best will will intuit and and will learn very quickly exactly how much help you want and how much help you need mm. and then i think also just it's going to feel easier and better even if it feels horrible right now mm-hmm. so do you love all the travel then are you are you still up for all the travel when you get out of this lockdown oh definitely definitely i think um i think there's certain like uh certain parts of australia that i wouldn't always well i definitely recommend but just some of the walking trails in the kimberley are this amazing slightly monochrome gray rocky surfaces which i just <laughs> think if if you're blind or partially sighted and going there definitely go because it's beautiful and it's amazing but just be careful of your ankles and go half the speed of everyone else yeah i love the travel but it is you just have to take it a bit slower 
so what happens next for you after the lockdown nurse? What happens for you? What are you doing next? Well, I'm actually... So my partner's a teacher, and when we were in Australia, she applied to some jobs in Europe because uh-huh. we thought we might try a bit of time in Europe. We didn't think anything could happen with COVID, but she's been offered a job in Madrid, so we're going to try Madrid for a year, but maybe not, <laughs> obviously, oh, with the way things are. Hablas español? Un poquito, oh, pero un tengo un que aprender más. Are you going to teach out there, or what are you going to do out there? Do comedy? I'm going to... I think I, there is a bit of an expat comedy community, so I'll definitely try that. But I'll, I'm going to try and do the teaching English as a foreign language qualification. Yeah. And so it'll be a sort of... I'll be very interested to see how, you know, how that works with the eyesight and everything. That's a whole sort of new... A new world for me. Thank you so much, Tom, for coming on, and good luck in your to Spain. Thank you very much, Mike. Thank you very much, Emma, and thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode. Feel free to get in touch with the team by emailing thevippod at gmail.com. <laughs>